So I'm talking to you before this show starts, uh, suggesting that we start the show with this particular article. And you you look at me and say, yeah, I mean, you got to do it. It is not your typical news, but it just feels like we should be making a bigger deal of it. I don't, uh, collectively, as a humanity? Yes. Should this not be the top headline? It, it w- I mean, it's trending on Twitter. It's crazy how caught up you can get, though, in the human stuff just in the human daily life that a story like this can break and not every single human is talking about it because it really feels like if this had have happened at a different moment where people weren't so caught up with the typical daily noise, then it just would be so much chatter around this. I'm not saying there isn't chatter. There is chatter, but this is crazy. Mm-hmm. The Pentagon has stated they've got off-world vehicles not made on this earth, and it's a key that is a key headline, mm-hmm. sir, because this isn't your typical unidentified flying object. That just means we don't know what it is. It mm-hmm. could be from some, it could be a foreign object. It could be some other type of jet we don't know about. It's it just unidentified. We just don't know what it is. But to say, I mean, any expert, any individual inside of this uh, group within the Pentagon, for any of them to say off-world vehicle not made on this earth, they're going a step further to attempt to identify the thing that's unidentified. Yeah. And the Pentagon saying that it's they don't know what it is, it uh, adds more to the mystery. Because they're supposed to know, right? Well, they've seen all the vehicles. Yeah. These type of you people, know? these are the experts. These are This is the military uh, background. They've seen the jets. They've seen the weaponry. I mean, yeah, when it comes to alloys and various other materials that you would typically show up in something that might be flying in the sky, these would be the people who had seen it all or seen a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So for it to be, for it to hit the mainstream like this, this is popular mechanics. This isn't the, this isn't the newspaper the tabloid thing when you're walking through the checkout version of the internet. This isn't it. This is mainstream now, reported by the New York Times. This all started with those video clips that were declassified. And he said, okay, fine. The public can have access to this now. They can essentially see these uh, uh, videos recorded from fighter jets, fighter pilots, locked on, by the way, Mm. to these flying objects, locked on, chasing them, Sort of, but having no clue, saying they're 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 moving differently, having no clue exactly what they're tracking, exactly what is up. Mm. And then as that as those video clips emerge, and then we start to uncover things and peel more layers of the onion. Yes, we are living right now, Willie Do, in 2020, the closest from an evidence perspective that humans have publicly ever lived to the potential of aliens. Period. What a world. What a time. I'm just, it feels weird to say that because this is a thing where it's been such 
uh, uh, fiction, science fiction, has been a science fiction concept. And I mean, you look up at the vastness of the of the. You look up in the sky. You look at the vastness of our galaxy. You you see all those stars. You wonder. You imagine. And then you get the Pentagon saying off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Mm. That we got them. Mm. Yeah, those things. And we couldn't tell you about it before. We tell you about it now. I mean, it's hard to even digest it. The government's once clandestine UFO program will reveal findings on unexplained materials and crashes. As recently as February, a, P a Pentagon spokesperson told Popular Mechanics that while a government program did investigate unmanned aerial vehicles, UAV, and other unexplained aerial phenomena for some time last decade, funding dried up in 2012. Now, a new report in the New York Times confirms those accounts. The government's UFO unit currently resides in the Office of Naval Intelligence, where it deals with classified matters, per the report. Even though the unit itself isn't classified, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force is meant to standardize collection and reporting of sightings of UAVs and publicly divulge at least some of its findings twice a year. So this is a real shift in the perception of e even how these ev events are distributed to the general public. Mm. So, so now you're, you're having the public kind of involved in these findings in a way that used to be secretive. That's 2020. As if 2020 couldn't get any weirder. Mm -hmm. Now we, now we have this to go. Now we, Add that to the pile of 2020. What if aliens decided to come back because this world is too messed up and they're just like, okay, we, we're going to try to fix it. Oh, just quietly yeah. from the outskirts. Yeah. Bring those vehicles in. I mean, who, what can they... Let's try to <laughs> bring the human unity together. Oh, man. Look at this, okay? Harry Reid, the former Nevada senator who was instrumental in funding the original UFO program, told the Times... New York Times, he believes that crashes from other worlds had occurred and that retrieved materials had been studied secretly for decades, often by aerospace companies under government contracts. Here's his quote. After looking into this, I came to the conclusion that there were reports, and some were substantive, some not so substantive, that there were actual materials that the government and the private sector had in their possession. The astrophysicist Eric Davis, who consulted with the Pentagon's original UFO program, told the Times that after he examined certain materials, he came to the conclusion that we couldn't make them ourselves. In fact, Davis briefed the Department of Defense Agency as recently as March about retrieving materials from off-world vehicles not made on this earth. And these are people, these are people, as a general public, these are the type of people you would perceive as the ones who would have an idea of exactly what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And if they're the ones that tell you that's what this material is, you got to start questioning a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Bob Lazar. Man, it's so weird. It's so weird. Look at that object moving. You have to understand as well, Will. These pilots, these fighter pilots, they see everything up there. They do tremendous number of hours up there seeing all kinds of things, seeing birds and... Uh, all kinds of objects and natural phenomena, and they, they can explain things. 
And if they see something, they say, this is like nothing I saw before. You got paid some attention to that. It's rotating. Oh, cool. Cool, yeah. it's rotating. It's rotating. Incredible stuff. It's mainstream now. Aliens are mainstream. I never... That is not something I expected to add to the 2020 docket. And I had to lead the show with it because it's just crazy. I'm going to follow it. It's going to be a part of this show. It should be a part of all shows right now. It should be mainstream. It's going to be on TikTok, and then that'll be mainstream. (laughs) Someone's got to make a dance out of it, a rotating UFO dance. Yeah, that's what the aliens, that's really what they're looking for. Apple begins assembling the iPhone 11 in India. Uh, We spoke about the increased footprint that Apple is going to have in India and, of course, Apple's manufacturing partners, those like uh, uh, Foxconn, for example. There were incentives put in place a while ago, which we covered on this show, where the Indian government was uh, essentially persuading manufacturers to do a portion of their manufacturing or assembly in India in order to avoid some tariffs to the tune of like 20% if they weren't going to be willing to do that. So so Samsung's been doing it for a long time. Foxconn, right? Uh, Well, just recently. Oh, right. Just recently with the iPhone XR, that started to be made domestically for the Indian market inside of India. Hmm. Uh, by, by made, of course, I mean assembly. They still got to bring parts in for it, but that was not the flagship model at the time. So Apple had kind of eased into the idea of India starting to adopt more of that assembly role. This is big news because that's their current model. The iPhone 11 is their current flagship model. And I guess they're satisfied with whatever's taken place with the iPhone XR in order to expand their program there and bring the iPhone 11 alongside. Apple's contract manufacturing partner Foxconn has started to assemble the current generation of iPhone units, the iPhone 11 lineup, in its plant near the southern city of Chennai, a source familiar with the matter told TechCrunch. A small batch of locally manufactured iPhone 11 units has already shipped to retail stores. But currently, the production yield is limited. So you know how this goes. I mean, it takes a while to get the scale going and all the checks and balances, make sure you're getting the quality that you're looking for. And it's difficult to set up these assembly lines. It's all, it's very, it's precision stuff. Mm-hmm. And and perfection is required. I mean, this is hard stuff. I've visited these types of facilities in the past. Yeah. So have you. It's a, this is some wild stuff. So, but it is, it is absolutely big news for India and also for that region, India's Minister of Commerce and Industry tweeted on Friday that Apple had begun this assembly. Apple hasn't commented themselves. Uh, this will allow them to avoid the roughly 20% import duty that the Indian government levies on imported electronics. This is one area in which Apple is starting to take India seriously. The other area is actually opening online sales directly, which is a thing that they haven't done yet and they're scheduled to do fairly soon. And then the last piece, which is open physical stores. They still don't have that either, Mm. but they're planning on doing that as well. Of course, there's been a few delays on that front, but this means a couple of things. It means jobs, obviously, for India, which is what the prime minister is interested in and the people, presumably, but it also means potentially a decrease in cost for these flagship models because that 20% uh, duty is going to end up uh, affecting the customer at some point. Whether, I mean, Apple's not going to be satisfied to just uh, gobble that up themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get passed on those expenses. And so therefore, this is a good sign. If if this continues with the flagship models, the public there 
gets to skip that extended cost and potentially get the flagship models for a little bit less. I don't know if it'll be the full 20%, and this is, of course, speculative. Uh, maybe Apple just keep the price the same. It's up to them. But I do think Apple needs to take India, the Indian market seriously because they have such a small market share there. And as all these individuals come online and become satisfied with Android, it's going to be tougher to move them off that platform at a later date. Time is of the essence. And more jobs than in India. More jobs. Jobs. Everybody's looking for jobs right now. Jobs are good. I don't mean everybody's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, uh, we talk about Tesla with the, the Texas yeah. plant, the Gigafactory they're putting in. Like, not just jobs, but high-tech jobs, jobs, reliable, uh, well-paying jobs, mm -hmm. things like this. Uh, speaking of Apple, though, they are scheduled to push back, at least there's a report, they're going to push back the iPhone 12 event. You know, typically these things take, take place in September. Yeah. It's a back-to-school type of vibe to the uh, iPhone events. But there's been issues in the world that have delayed almost everything, and Apple is not immune to that. They're, they're going to be affected, likely. Fans of iPhone will probably have to wait at least another month before shiny new models are unveiled. Apparently, Apple is delaying its annual fall event until the latter half of October instead of early September. The company apparently forced to push back the event for its new 5G-compatible iPhone 12 because of production delays. They're not trying to do anything fancy and wait for things to chill out in the globe. It's, it's likely that because of the production shutdowns that took place in China and elsewhere because of the global pandemic that they're going to have to uh, wait a little longer to have the supply that they would need for this type of launch mm. because, well, people tend to buy these things. Mm -hmm. And people, when they buy something, they tend to want to receive a thing. Business. You see how that works? Yeah. And so you better have the inventory ready to go at least to some extent. Uh, Apple's shares are up this year, but they're actually down a little bit recently. So... The stock fell yesterday. I think it continues to fall a little bit. And we've got an article here from our pals at The Motley Fool attempting to look into why Apple stock has fallen. Uh, yeah, if you look at the... Even if you look at the one month, I think, you'll see... Yeah, I mean, it's a small dip comparative to where it started. And certainly if you bring up the one-year graph, it's uh, they're surging still. It's just a tiny little cliff there. I mean, a lot of... High-tech stocks are looking like this recently. We've referenced uh, Amazon. We've referenced Tesla, obviously. But the uh, this little tiny dip is likely due to that news emerging of the uh, delayed event. Mm -hmm. The delayed event is a big part of it. And also just the softness of the marketplace in 2020, particularly around flagship-level devices and flagship-level price tags. So... Goldman Sachs has warned investors not to be too bullish on Apple's near-term prospects. They, they do not have uh, a recommendation to be purchasing this stock at the moment. But it's kind of Apple is one of those stocks, one of those companies like some of the like like Tesla, where there's a, a lot of people who own that and are are fully committed to uh, sticking with it for the long haul, mm -hmm. and they're not looking for a get-rich-quick. And so even though these things can swing a little bit, those individuals are more interested in the five-year outlook than necessarily, than, you know, maybe what's going to happen in 2020 or what's going to happen or not happen in September. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw you 
making a type of expression looking at this bear, I think it is a very nice image of a bear. And uh, I'm curious about why you're curious of this particular bear. Do you think he looks strange? Or? Well, this is part of the article, right? That's right. I'm yeah. guessing what, why. Oh, see, <laughs> see, Will, this is where you've now exposed, you've exposed <laughs> yourself. The moment has come where right. you've, you've is exposed the fact a, that you're not the business guy anymore. Is there a bear reference? Yeah, so in the stock market, when a stock is not hot, not so hot, it becomes a bear. It's a bear, and when a and when a stock is to the moon, it's a bull. As far as the uh, analysts are concerned, they just have these different animals to represent. Yeah. Represent a stock. It's just for fun. It's why you go to Wall Street. They have a big bull sitting there. Oh. Bull is good. It's like an old-fashioned kind of uh, kind of a thing. But uh, it is it is strange. Yeah, I mean, there's probably more to the origin story as to why those animals became representative of. Uh, um, they represent not just a particular stock, but the entire market. You can have if people are hype about the market, they'll say it's a bull market, lots of opportunity. They'll say and and bear will represent the opposite. Yeah, bull market is a market on the rise and it's economically sound. A bear market is a market that's receding, where most stocks are declining in value. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I it's kind of cool. I guess it's uh, it adds a little personality to the business world. A couple of animals. Animals are cool. It was a. It is a cool picture of a bear, Very though. Cool, yeah. Holy moly! That's a, You don't want to bump into that guy. No. Um, Corning is unveiling new scratch-resistant Gorilla Glass Victus. This stuff looks. I mean, it looks pretty cool. They put out this little video. I actually like this this promo video. It, it, I think it does a good job in about two minutes of explaining why they've created the greatest glass ever. Now, Gorilla Glass has been on so many devices i mean they're really the name in the business this new one now we're doing two meter drops supposedly based on their testing they put it up against some competitors in this video variety of tests not just dropping it but they have a sort of a metallic probe that they put on the top of it with different weights they have this slapper test so this is this uh, simulates uh, kind of smacking onto the ground into an look at this wham and that's their new Victus product. Yeah, it's fine. Not even our Mega Slapper could defeat Gorilla Glass Victus. And meanwhile, the competitor. You see the competitor is a piece of garbage. Oh, yeah. So this is lovely. It's all demonstration. There's a couple of cool ones. Here's a here's a straight-up drop from a fairly decent... I want to get one of those machines. Those are cool. Yeah. That's two meters. It survives. Competitor. Disaster, as you're about to see here. But the scratch one is also really interesting. And I think for a lot of people, it's more on the day-to-day -day with the scratching. So this is where what you're gonna see here. On the left is the competitor with four Newton, a four Newton load. On the right is the new Gorilla Glass with an eight Newton load. So, I mean, you can see the scratch is barely visible on the Victus and compared to the other ones, disgusting. You wanna throw your, you wanna get rid of your phone. Yeah. It's kind of, and it, and, it, and it kind of like spreads more. And here's the load uh, in kilogram kilogram force kgf i would assume that's what the f stands for anyway you go 15 kilograms the other one's blasted that one's up to 100 kg so i don't doubt i mean corning's been doing it yeah, i don't it doubt this promising. yeah i don't doubt that this next one is uh, exactly what they claim for it to be glass is still glass as i believe jerry rig will tell you glass is glass but uh this is better glass so 
they find all kinds of ways to create these hybrids, Will, and uh, and they continue to amaze. And it's big business because mm-hmm. the smartphone business is big business. And guess what you got to put on the front of a smartphone? Glass. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for pulling it full circle. Here we have a report from Gizmo China, which I guess is a competitor of Giz China. Isn't that another oh, right. another site which looks almost exactly like this? <laughs> anyway, they claim, according to a tipster, that 5,000 milliamp hour batteries and 100 plus fast charging are going to become the mainstream in 2021. Mm. That's just going to be you just expect it in 2021. Now, I I, I assume they're talking about uh, mostly with Chinese smartphone brands, based on where you know the tipster's origin as well as this particular website, and also the fact that. Apple seems to be much slower to adopt these types of technologies. And we already have the spec on the next generation iPhone. It's nowhere near 5,000 milliamp hours and certainly nowhere near 100, 100 plus watts fast charging. Regardless of what you feel about it, I mean, people are critical of super fast charging. I mean, my battery's degrading, mm-hmm. even though Oppo, Vivo, others will tell you otherwise, Xiaomi. They'll say, no, 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 we tested, we were cooling things down. We, we got all these moves we make. We're okay. It's fine. Charge yeah, fast. Super vook. Yeah, they're vooking all day. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, I, I presume we're talking about brands here like Oppo, like Vivo, like Xiaomi, possibly even, even OnePlus and others like that, where I, I can imagine that this can become the norm. Uh, just how fast we've seen things happen in other uh, specification territories. Uh, look at the scaling of RAM. RAM got ridiculous fast. Was it 16 gigs now? Yeah, it feels like we went from oh six gigs. That's a ton. That's it's yeah, a powerhouse really right there. Much. Up to 16 in like five minutes. Oh. So as the spec chasing continues, uh, the battery's got to scale up, and the and the recharge's got to scale up. Increasingly, that's becoming a huge marketing component for a smartphone. Uh, you know those video clips float around with the thing recharging in like seven minutes. It gets mm-hmm. people going. They say. Well, that's something I can... Plus, I'll say this. People were upset that possibly the next generation iPhone is going to shrink the battery. We covered that yesterday's, on yesterday's show. Battery, to me, as, as our phones increasingly become our main computing devices, I think battery is that killer feature. And battery is a two, two-step thing. Battery is how long it lasts and then how quickly can I top it up. It's those two things. Mm-hmm. And so... Once you've used a device that charges it super fast and has a decent battery to go with it, it's very difficult to go the other yes. way yeah. because you just got used to it. Uh, I have the, even with this OnePlus, just the warp charge in the car because my car has an outlet option as well. Mm. And sometimes I'll make the mistake of just charge, uh, plugging into the USB port right. and my phone barely budges. But if I plug into the right port, which is the fast charge port, even in a 10-minute trip, I'm good for... A while and yeah. you get really used to that feature so i would suggest to people who haven't experienced it uh give it a look and then and then talk to me because in a pinch when you just need that juice will telling you mm. feels great uh playstation 5 special edition unveiled made of 24 karat gold this is not officially coming from sony by the way it's uh, i gotta get that out of the way uh, right away. This is a company that specializes in uh, taking consumer electronics and making them more luxury. There's a number of companies like this. They've got a video here. Exclusive. High demand. People are asking. 
So yeah, it's going to be gold-plated. Obviously, this is not... We're not talking solid gold over here. That would be insane. And it's going to have a premium price tag to match. Probably a few thousand pounds. It's a British company. Now, this one came on my radar. I was actually tagged in a, in a tweet from uh, Marquez. He said this was right up my alley right here. He said this this he said low key this is an unbox therapy uh type of feature and he's completely correct on that. Mm -hmm. this should definitely show up on unbox therapy although i have to be realistic here even these though these guys are taking pre-orders or whatever they're doing they're called truly exquisite from the uk and they got a nice little promo video gold-plated playstation 5 gold-plated controller gold-plated headset to just make the whole set mm -hmm. come together they're going to have to get their hands on the PS5 first. They're going to have to buy it like a regular citizen before they can give it their treatment. So I'm a little bit concerned about the timeline on this thing. If you go out and buy the thing for a few thousand pounds and you want to make a video about it, is it coming six months after the initial release? I don't know what the demand is going to look like right. and why Sony's going to let them buy them in bulk to, to make their sales. Probably not. What I reported on yesterday, the article we were talking about, stating that there's indication that Sony's going to be heavily limiting the early supply to one unit per household. So how does Truly Exquisite come along and get the hundred that they want to have for their limited editions? It's going to be difficult early on. Later on, it's no big deal. You look at the companies that do the customizations later on, so what? You can buy these things as you want them. So I'm a bit curious about that, but I don't know. Maybe I get in touch with these guys. Maybe I could just send them a PlayStation 5. They could give it the 24-carat treatment yeah. and make it part of the series like that. Uh, but if they can get their hands on it, I definitely want to unbox it. Obviously, it's it's completely ridiculous, and that's why it's cool. That's why people are tweeting it at me for good reason. Uh, it's going to be available in 24 karat gold, platinum, or 18 karat rose gold. So you get your selection, you get your options over there. Well, I probably go with the classic gold, 24 karat gold. It sure got a look to it. I'll tell you what. So yeah, they're going to probably limit it to 100 pieces, and a few thousand pounds is what we know right now. And I would say at least. Of course, they got to wait like everyone else to see the retail costs just yeah. on the PlayStation before they come with their final cost. Looks great, though. Speaking of costs, we have some pretty decent indication here that it's a possibility that these PlayStation 5 games, that the game pricing may actually not have to increase. See, at first, the 2K series guys came out and they said, yeah, our video games, are gonna, our games are going to go up $10. Right? They said it's going to go from 60 to $70. So $59.99 or what is it, $95, whatever they charge yeah. right now, $10 extra. So people say, okay, new generation, I, all right, fine. I can see that. But then Ubisoft got everybody all fired up. The other day, they were doing their earnings call, and they said, no, nah, we're not going to raise the prices. Right, not yet, at least. Not yet, at least. And they didn't seem, I mean, anyone can, can change their price at any time, mm -hmm. but... Why would you come out and say, no, we have no plans of raising our prices unless you actually had that plan, mm. right? I mean, I, I, I'm believing it at the moment, but you're right. They could change it as they see what everyone else does, all the other, I mean, whatever the prices end up being. But you know how this goes. Once it's kind of collectively decided upon, then they're all, they all seem to be that price. So Ubisoft, a, a big, big time game company, right? They got a few titles out there. Assassin's Creed. I mean, they've, they've earned a few bucks. Yeah. They're kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. So if they decide to keep the cost down, then then maybe that could uh, influence some of the other game companies to do something similar. Yep. And it could influence the actual long-term price if they stick to it. 
of next generation titles, which the console is likely to be expensive enough. And so I can see that being meaningful to users, even though it's it sounds like, oh, it's only 10 bucks, but buy a bunch of games, it adds up. Mm-hmm. And there's, there is a difference between 60 and 70. I remember consoles, couple consoles launched $100 games. Which one? Was it the Nintendo N64? Nintendo 64. Was it like a hundred bucks a game? They tried to go crazy with it. And it really uh, prohibited a number of people from even wanting to bother with it. I remember that as a kid. I I was sitting around waiting for, I guess it was the other PlayStation at the time. I don't remember which one it was. Maybe the PS1. Was that around the Nintendo 64 era? But I think it influenced my decision on which platform to get at that time because of the price of cartridges. Mm. So it does matter, but in this case, I don't think it's gonna change which platform people pick because whether it's PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, they're likely gonna land on the same number. But Ubisoft's here giving you some kind of positive indication that it's it's at least a possibility that these things could stay at 60 bucks for the next gen. Mm. TikTok is launching a $200 million fund, fund to pay creators for their videos. Uh, this you sent this to me. You're uh, outside of being the business guy. You're also the TikTok guy, which I just found out recently. Yeah. After yesterday's episode, I was sitting there looking at that clip, uh, or at least the moment in the show where you reference having watched TikTok. You're like, oh, I was been watching TikTok the other day, and then someone commented on my expression. Right. It kind of took me a second to digest. Just I pictured I had the imagery of just Willie do chilling watching TikTok. Yeah. I had to I had to process that. Yeah. But anyways, you're the TikTok guy, and so you sent this one over to me. Uh, $200 million to try to keep creators on the platform. That's the headline as far as I'm concerned because it's a lot of, well, you've been seeing the press and the fears and the concerns about the future of TikTok, particularly in the U.S. after what happened in India and other places. People getting real skeptical. People getting nervous about ByteDance and Chinese apps in general and Mm-hmm. Look, I can't speak on it. I'm not staring at the code. I don't know what's going on, but I can say there's apprehension out there. And that apprehension is definitely going to trickle to the user base, to the content creators themselves, as we saw in the form of Ninja putting out the tweet once upon a time, seems like a while ago, maybe a week ago, saying, yeah, I'm about to get off TikTok, and I think you should too. And that's big, man. That, that has an impact that influences people and maybe even convinces people to do the same. Here's the tweet. I have deleted the TikTok app off all my devices. Hopefully a less intrusive company in brackets data farming that isn't owned by China can recreate the concept legally. Such funny and amazing content on the app from influencers. So he comes out and says something like this. And if you're TikTok, you go have a meeting. If you're in the U.S. office, you go have a meeting after this happened. Yeah. That tweet. Mm -hmm. And you, you look at each other and you say, well, this could start a trend, particularly because a lot of these TikTok influencers could likely end up and have be, uh, begun to, to end up and show up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And they're doing views on YouTube. And YouTube has a partnership program well-established. There are businesses on YouTube that thrive w- with or without independent sponsorship sales because there's the baked-in revenue associated with uh, Google AdSense. And so... Of course, TikTok's looking at that and saying, well, how can we ensure that these people don't bounce? How can we ensure that they don't get afraid and say, why am I investing on this platform when I could be investing in places like YouTube where I feel it's a safer long-term bet from the standpoint of the U.S. government 
and on top of that, where I can start making money right now and every single upload. Mm -hmm. And so this is a is an interesting topic, regardless of just TikTok, all the other platforms, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, they don't have these baked in revenue structures. Facebook got it recently for content creators. They start to encourage it. So without having that, I mean, yeah, of course, people who cultivate audiences are going to want to go to a place where they can make a business out of what they've just done. Mm -hmm. And on TikTok, up until that point, it was strictly around selling their own sponsorships. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a little bit uh, more work. And I, I don't know, not every creator actually uh, succeeds in that in that area, even with big following, surprisingly enough. So this 200 million bucks, this creator fund aims to sign deals with their popular stars to continue to upload stuff on TikTok. Now, I haven't seen these documents or proposals, so I don't know what it prohibits those creators from doing. But my experience in this space, typically the way these things work is there's some sort of first window status where TikTok will sign a deal saying, hey, we need you A, to upload a certain amount of content to just keep uploading and B, to upload here first before you go upload other places or to not upload competitive content. Mm -hmm. Now, because it's such a specific type of content on TikTok, the second component there, the B part of it, maybe not such a big deal where they upload first. I think the bigger part of the deal is don't give up on us. Right. Keep posting here. We don't want the mass exodus. We don't want the Vine thing. Because prior to Vine shutting down, there's all kinds of stories of those big creators ending up in corporate offices in San Francisco standing there saying, we need to make some money off this thing mm -hmm. before they all exited to YouTube as well. So I don't know if $200 million is enough. I don't know who they're trying to hang on to or who they view or perceive as their important creators. It all gets very squirrely very fast. Creators who want to apply for funding must be 18 or older consistently post original videos and create content that's consistent with TikTok's community guidelines. A baseline follower count is also required, but TikTok has not stated how many are needed. Creators in the United States can apply for funding in August, and they did not mention other markets. So it does appear to be a United States initiative, and that's the place where most of the controversy exists. So it's the place that probably needs the most attention. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna have to wait and see how this maps out, but... A uh, guy like you, Will, earlier when, when you sent me this story, you also you put a little piece in there, a little opinion of your own. You, you were kind of indicating 200 million, not enough. Yeah, I, I think I was reading the, the number of downloads is like, what, 140, 50 million? Like, I, I think creators should deserve more, at wow. least right now. Wow. Yeah. But how do they split it up? You know, it's tough. Yeah, who knows? They need some sort of payment. You know structure. what the key takeaway for me was? That you stared down a $200 million number and you were like, meh. Chump change. You are like, eh. <laughs> That's the more important part to me. Yeah. Uh, Amazon reportedly in talks to buy a 9.9% .9 stake in India's Reliance Retail. Uh, it's every day I got a story like this. It is the money is flowing right now from North America to India. All the big players want a piece of it and... I'm also learning about just how insane the Reliance Company, the reach of the Reliance Company is. It's everywhere in every segment, and uh, billions float in to go stra uh, strategically to Geo, which is a part of Reliance, and of course Amazon's money, Bezos' money, more interested in the retail part of things. Uh, I didn't know this, but Reliance Industries, 
operates Reliance Retail, which is the largest retail chain in India, even though it was only founded in 2006. It serves more than 3.5 million customers each week through nearly 10,000 physical stores in 6,500 cities and towns. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a decent retail footprint. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. I know you're not impressed by the 200 million, but you gotta be impressed by that many stores. Oh yeah. Okay. So Amazon, they like to sell you things, and they certainly want to be a part of this new world situation going on. They want to go along for that ride over in India, and I don't blame them. Google wants to do it. Facebook wants to do it. But their play is less obvious because they're, they got their website going there as well, and they want to run their regular business in India. But they're having to make these strategic partnerships along the way to stay part of the ride, mm -hmm. and this could be one of them, 10%. Stake, a 10% stake is no joke. It's going to allow them to have a more intimate relationship, probably understand the Indian retail market a little better, which would be very valuable for a company like Amazon that wants to sell you something at the end of the day mm -hmm. for the time being. Reliance Industries' new venture, GeoMart, is increasingly becoming a new challenger to Amazon, which has invested $6.5 billion in its India business, and Walmart... As I mentioned on a previous show, you you were uh, you were indicating to me I was wrong, but Walmart is the big investor in Flipkart as well, which oh. is another e-commerce option if you're in India. So, whoo, whoo, try to keep it all together. There's many ways to do this, but one thing is for certain: these American companies want to be along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Here you have Amazon investing 6.5 billies in their own deal. In India, and then it's saying, which is already uh, competing with GeoMart, which is a reliance company, but they're also saying, okay, we'll be your partner over here. We'll compete with you over here. It's like, it's wild. Mm -hmm. It's all tied up. It's uh, India is flourishing. Absolutely. No doubt on that. Uh, speaking of the earth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to tie this back to the original story with the UFOs. Yeah. I mean, they're not even UFOs anymore. And 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 notice how the Pentagon likes to call them UAVs, right? They don't like to call them UFOs. Well, they have a new term now. UAV. What are they? What are they using now? Off-world vehicles. Oh, off-world vehicles. Uh, OWV. Yes. Okay, we'll go with OWV. Anyways, I was trying to tie this one back because uh, this caught my attention. Uh, COVID has had a, so a lot of weird impacts on the world. Uh, none, none more significant than the fact that people are sitting around at home more than they ever have in the mm -hmm. history, in the history of man. Uh, and so, because of that, there's a, a a very strange consequence that I never, never would have thought of, which is the fact that the Earth is now vibrating less because of those lockdowns. Actual humans moving about. Stomping their fat feet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah, when we do that collectively, we actually, uh, you know, we shake the earth a little bit. Huh. And it, it can actually show up as high-frequency seismic noise. And uh, that's how, you know, typically they're measuring seismic activity, looking for uh, earthquakes and things like this. And they have to subtract the human activity to get their effective readings. Mm. And they're having to subtract a lot less because people are sitting on their butts. People are just sitting watching Netflix, watching YouTube, 
uh, they're just moving around less, having less fun. But uh, more methane, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is it? No. Methane? Maybe not because they're indoors, so it's like getting trapped. The, hum oh, right. the human methane is sitting in the attic. It's sitting below the roof line. It's just slightly floating. Yeah, you're just breathing that your methane oh, back in, man. Will. It's gross. Yeah, we're disgusting. We humans are a rowdy, disruptive bunch. Our very day-to-day -day living causes the planet to hum, quite literally. Driving, traveling, digging, construction, industry, and even live sporting events all contribute to a constant background hum of high-frequency seismic noise. Thanks to global lockdowns due to the COVID-19, the world is experiencing the most dramatic reduction in that seismic noise in recorded history. Recorded history. We are quiet right now. Mm. Quiet in many ways. Mm. Pensive. Chilling. Waiting. Mm. And there's not much else to do. So I don't know if the earth likes that or doesn't like it. There's actually a video you can look at if you scroll down a little bit uh, where you can see these spikes in seismic noise which would typically be around high density areas obviously more people stomping around making noise digging industry doing human stuff hmm. now we're on chill mode we're on sleep mode hmm. seismic noise is on sleep mode for the time being maybe we'll have fewer earthquakes we're just disrupting it's not how it works but. <laughs> anyway you probably caught this news will Mike Tyson is coming back. Mike yeah. Tyson, you ever heard of him? Yeah. yeah he's, I, a, he's a, he's a yeah. famous boxer. He knocked out a few guys back in the day. I remember his fights used to be an event when I was a kid. I remember at my grandparents' house, they had a big screen TV. And if Tyson was fighting, they're going to buy that pay-per-view and, and there's going to be a crowd. It lasts like he had the black seconds. shorts on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it, it was a real... I mean, he was the biggest thing in the sport. Mm -hmm. Maybe still is the maybe there hasn't been anything bigger at, at heavyweight. Probably not. Uh, anyways, he's coming back. He's like fifty-seven years old, I believe. 57. He's 54, 54, 54 years yeah. old, and he's gonna fight Roy Jones Jr. on his own comeback at fifty-one years old. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be an exhibition match, obviously. And originally, like yesterday, I was reading a report that said they weren't going to try to knock each other out. And then, of course, I found that hard to believe. In an interview, Tyson says, I only know how to fight one way. He says, I only know how to go full force. Anybody who knows me, I don't know how to take my foot off the gas. I just know one way of fighting, and that's just what it is. So, as far as Mike's concerned, it's a real fight. And Roy Jones is no slouch. Also one of the all-time greats, though I don't think he spent as much time at heavyweight. Granted, they're they're close enough in size. Mm -hmm. Tyson was kind of a short, a shorter heavyweight. Yep. So you're actually looking at 5'10 is Mike Tyson, 5'11 is Roy Jones. Mm. And Roy Jones actually has a reach advantage, 74 inches versus 71. Oh. Uh, he also claims, Jones claims, that he's he's got better cardio. So he says if Mike doesn't knock me out early, he's going to be in trouble. Uh, uh, that said, the early betting line is out. And Tyson's showing uh, as a favorite right now. Slight, slight favorite, slight. not a huge favorite. He's a, a minus 350 to the plus 275 underdog that is Roy Jones Jr. 
uh, they did some nice math for us here on TMZ. If you place a $350 bet on Tyson, you'll win 100 bucks. So you're not going to double your money or anything. Now, the clips have emerged of Tyson boxing. He looks pretty good, but you can't get around the fact that he is the age that he is. And as much as I'll be watching just because of the scale of the event, it's I think it's important to note that I mean, we you just just don't go into it expecting you're going to see a 22-year-old Mike Tyson, 25-year-old Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. That just wouldn't even be fair to him mm -hmm. or to anything. So you could still see something spectacular. Sure, it's not impossible. He looks like he's in shape. But I just, let's just watch it for what it is, you know? It can be impressive in its own way. Right. Uh, here's the crazy part. Here's the YouTube twist. The undercard, apparently, is going to have... Uh, Jake Paul oh, no. versus no Nate way. Robinson. <laughs> so just to make the event even uh, more wild, you put a little YouTube undercard and Nate Robinson, former NBA player and also a football player before that, apparently says he's an athlete. He's ready to go. Jake Paul, he's, he's, done, the pro, he's done the boxing matches previously. So we're, we're all aware of how that works. And he's actually trained quite a bit. Uh, and improve quite a bit. Yep. So that I'm curious to see how that one goes. But I have seen some training clips of Nate Robinson, and he looks like he's in great shape too. Mm. So it's going to be quite interesting. A weird night in the fight world, but I think a lot of eyeballs are going to be on this thing. It's Mike Tyson. Yeah. It's Roy Jones Jr. Back. It's going to be some eyeballs. Good luck to everybody involved. We talked a little bit about this Ford Bronco. Well, apparently, it ain't going to just be the Bronco as the SUV. They're also going to do a truck version of it. That's the rumor now. Now, it's going to take a little while for this one to come out, but it's going to compete with that new Jeep Gladiator truck, which has actually been quite popular for Jeep. Now, the Jeep brand in general has quite the following, and it's still mostly around the SUV model, but they when they put the truck out, you had to know Ford was looking at it, mm -hmm. thinking, hmm, what's the right way for us to attack that model with our own option? Well, if you're doing a Bronco anyways, you throw a little bed on it and it actually looks pretty cool, this rendering right here, as a truck. And the crazy part about this, Will, is that apparently they're going to put a, they could put a variant out with a really powerful engine as well. And also they're apparently planning for a Raptor variant of the Bronco. Oh. So that could be. You get the both. Best of both worlds. You got the truck, thing, right? you got the off-road, yeah. you got the uh, Bronco look to it, and uh, maybe you have an exciting package. Increasingly, well, Jeep has been one of the few bright spots for the Chrysler Group. They're not, whatever their new name is, I can't remember now. We talked about it the other day. See, that's the problem. When you go with that new age type of name, who's even going to remember it? It's It was like some kind of star, Stellantis. Oh, yeah. Stellantis? Did I get it right? I don't know, man. It's tough to keep it together. It means like some kind of... Uh, you can't even find it. You can't even type it in correctly. But anyway, they got the new name because they got the partnership with Fiat and uh, Peugeot from France. And it's a whole conglomerate now. But anyways, Jeep has been good for them. Jeep's been a bright spot. Mm -hmm. And so it's no surprise to me that Ford should use a similar model and just say... Hey, the Broncos got this attention. People like this type of off-road look, and we throw a bet on it as well, and and we count the money, and people buy it. Do you think the Bronco will kind of take some <laughs> pressure or or 
popularity off the F-150? Yeah, so if they do a truck version, I'd say certainly. But just keep in mind, it's still smaller. So this will be a small pickup truck comparatively. You can see the way this is rendered with the small bed there, mm. and the interior will be tighter. This is going to be less of a work vehicle and more of a, of a fun off-road, a utility vehicle still that happens to have a bed. And that's sort of the way the Gladiator is currently positioned. More like throw some bikes in the back than sheets of plywood yeah, type of outdoor, thing. Outdoor, camping. Camping, this crowd. And that crowd is growing, man. Uh, with this lockdown, people are staying closer to home. They're uh, uh, exploring their surroundings. They're hiking. They're... Uh, cottages, that stuff is up. Uh, going to the lake, the national parks, things like this. It's the right time for these types of vehicles. Uh, do you drink? You don't drink coffee. Oh, you do drink coffee. You started recently. You're into the iced coffee mostly, I think. I was always into iced coffee. But oh, okay. Even more now. More so, because I see you almost every morning now. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's an iced coffee. It's a daily ritual. You got a ritual going. Well, apparently, uh, it does matter which type of, type of caffeine you drink and how that's going to impact or affect you. And apparently, well, this uh, Clarkson University, a team over there, they just published a peer-reviewed study looking for the difference in the type of caffeine you consume and what the effect of that is. Mm. Because you know there's a lot of uh, popular energy drink-style caffeine that's out there in the world that uh, is, you know, it's popularized to keep you sharp, uh, Red Bulls and Monster Energy and stuff right. like this. And, and there's always been a question, is that the exact same stuff that's in coffee? It feels a little bit different. I don't know if it's uh -huh. the same stuff. Well, they did discover in their, in their study here that there is a difference between synthetic caffeine and naturally occurring caffeine, like the type of caffeine that shows up in coffee. And they found that the natural version of caffeine had a more sustained delivery Uh of course, we know what caffeine does, makes you alert, a little bit sharper, and uh, and helps you wake up in the morning. Very popular beverage, coffee. I don't even heard of it. Never heard of it. And a very uh, hotly traded commodity across the globe, certainly. Uh, so I guess it's more distributed in terms of energy? Yeah. So like spike? So here's what, here's what it is. They found that both natural and synthetic caffeine improve cognition and moods. However... Synthetic caffeine had an initial spike after 30 minutes and then slowed and tapered at 60 and 90 minutes. So it was a spike. It's just a quick spike you're going to get with that. And then you crash. And a crash, whereas natural caffeine had a more gradual improvement in performance. Mm. So it's interesting because you may have thought it was one-to-one. -one. In fact, many times on the energy drinks, you they will relate it to a cup of coffee. Like this energy drink is two cups of coffee. And it's like, Maybe not all caffeine is created equal. That's essentially what they were looking for and attempting to determine. And uh, yeah, it appears they have some significant findings. So mm -hmm. anyway, what I'm trying to say, Will, is keep drinking that iced coffee, all right? All right. Speaking of drinks, people are dipping their ice cream cones inside of their Coke at McDonald's. Hmm. How does that make you feel right away? What's your initial reaction to that? Uh, I mean, if that's what they want to do, <laughs> no, you do you. You don't sound into it right now. I mean, I'm looking at the pictures. I kind of want to try it. Yeah, okay. But I, I'm not uh, opposed to it. They have a A&W root beer. You're apprehensive. Yeah, a float. Uh, yeah, the root beer That's all float. it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I grew up doing this. 
as a kid, just at home, I would take a scoop of vanilla ice cream yeah. in the root beer and have a root beer float. Of course, you can do it with Coke as well, but I just feel like the float is not hot right now. No one's talking about no, the float. Yeah. That was a classic, and then it just kind of died down. Yeah, so the, the the float lost its... And then all you need, Will, as you can see, you see the little logo in the right picture there? In the bottom right corner of the right picture. What is that logo? TikTok. It's a TikTok. Yeah. That's all you need. Somebody popular on TikTok just has to dunk their cone, and everyone... It's like a new thing that never existed before. Mm -hmm. To a whole new generation. Well, nah. We've been on the float. Maybe not often enough to keep it trending, but... People are cutting back on the sugar and the junk food. You can't have these floats. But when I was a kid, like I'm saying, it was a thing that people did. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're doing a DIY version. All you got to do is get the soft serve from McDonald's and pop it into the Coca-Cola. You're going to have to pour out about half of your Coca-Cola because otherwise mm -hmm. you're going to have a volume issue. And what you get is this creamy kind of almost like a Coca-Cola milkshake type of thing. Right. And it's a very interesting combination. I mean, she called it a black cow. And uh, they're calling it a food hack. Well, I mean, in reality, it's just, a, it's just a float. Yeah. You can't order a float in the McDonald's in the U.S., so they won't do it for you. So, therefore, it's a, it's a DIY mm. style. Maybe you got to give it a shot next time you're there, Will. Maybe. Speaking of McDonald's, though, according to MSN.com, they say... They say they seem to have uh, they've attempted to identify the worst burger you should never order from McDonald's. When I read the headline, I thought, do they mean worst like worst flavor, worst what? Well, they're actually worried about your uh, your health. Will right nutrition? Yeah, they're worried about your health. They uh, they don't want you. They want you to live long. Will yeah. Well, shout out MSN and <laughs> thanks. But I don't know what you're doing at McDonald's if that's your goal. But eating burgers, you know, you got to take it in moderation. But anyway, before we go down, which do you have a guess as to which McDonald's burger is they would consider to be the least healthy? Like an actual burger? It's on the menu. Oh, okay. Um, maybe a double filet o fish. No, mm. that has protein, I guess. Well, they all have protein. More protein. Uh, the Big Mac with the bacon. Okay, maybe? you're kind of close. You were close when you said double. I didn't I didn't actually know this one existed. They have a double quarter pounder with cheese. And oh, if you, you so scroll like four patties? No, just a because the quarter pounder patty is is way bigger than oh, right, the right, than yeah. the Big Mac. Right. So this this is more than four patties on a Big Mac when you look scroll a little bit further. That's a lot of <laughs> beef right there. I've never That's ordered this. I didn't know that it existed. Yeah. You know, like, but it's on there. Double quarter pounder with cheese. And what you're getting here with this burger is 720 calories, uh, 40 grams of fat, 19 grams saturated, 2 grams trans fat, 1,370 milligrams sodium, 43 grams carbs, and 49 grams protein. Now, first of all, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. Uh, I feel like... In moderation, whatever, get you, go for it. I don't, whatever. Yeah, once in a while, you know. Yeah, just don't do this all that often. And also be aware, pretty much nobody is arguing for trans fats. Nobody yeah, is saying that, <laughs> that's what you need. Period. And and this one's got two grams of that. So another reason to kind of uh, 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 limit your exposure to this one right here. But same time. I bet you that thing probably tastes better than half the other things on there because it's got those specs. 
with the processed cheese? Come on, that's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm saying I'm the type of I'm 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 coming from the angle of I would rather enjoy it less often, but actually enjoy it mm -hmm. than have a more sustained version of un maybe not to the extent of the cheat day scenario where it's like you just you're like not eating anything and then you just like mega <laughs> overdose of everything that you want. Yeah. But kind of a more limited version of that where, hey, if you're going to do it, go for it. I probably still wouldn't get this double. But anyway, uh, as far as MSN's concerned, that's the one to avoid. They actually, but then see, the reason they lose me in this article is because then they go and say, you have to get the regular hamburger. Huh? The, just, a, just a regular McDonald's hamburger, the thin patty thing. Because what, like a th that's their recommendation. Oh. That's their recommendation if you want to have, if you want to be healthy. Well, There's a much fun. better option for you at McDonald's. Instead of the double quarter pounder with cheese, go for the hamburger. <laughs> the original hamburger has one beef patty seasoned with a pinch of salt and pepper, topped with a pickle, cho chopped onions, ketchup, and mustard. It comes in at 250 calories, 3.5 grams of fat, and 510 milligrams of sodium. It might be smaller. Yeah. That's not gonna feel. You yeah, can't. Obviously. You yeah, know? you. I know. I'm saying you can't compare those two things. You're not gonna be full after that. That's not gonna do the job. Also, imagine going from 40 grams of fat to three. Ugh. What? 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 Give me this. Where did all that flavor this. go? Where did all that flavor go? Yeah. It went away with those grams of fat. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, take it easy, people. If you're going to do it, don't do it every, uh, all the time. And also, hey, if you got a grill and you can just slap your ground beef together and, and, and I mean, you put together a burger the other day. You showed me a picture. It was completely oh, it was overboard. Yeah. Uh, but I had a burger last night. Hmm. Actually, I had the, uh, the HelloFresh burger. Oh, okay. The Which one? one? The, the beef burger? Yeah, it was it was uh it went with the package that showed oh, up. Right? I didn't see the menu on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the name of it was, but it was, yeah, it was good. And uh, and you make it yourself, and you're on the grill, and they make it very easy. So, uh, anyways, I'm saying if you could do that, you go that route as well. Obviously, not everybody has all the time every time, mm -hmm. but uh, it's incredible what you can put together, a little bit of instruction, all the rest of it. Anyway, uh, MSN wants you to avoid that. Sure enough, enough people just looked at that picture. They're not going to avoid it at all. No. They're going to head straight over there. That's what you're doing. As soon as you click the end button, it's going to be a double quarter pounder for Willie Doom.